National Parks Traveler, where we explore the national parks and the issues that involve them. Across the roughly 85 million acre national park system, there are, in theory at least, some 70 million acres envisioned as wilderness. 44 million acres have received official congressional blessing as such, while another 26 million acres are in something akin to administrative limbo. Some of those 26 million acres, including roughly two-thirds of Big Bend National Park in Texas, have been recommended for official wilderness designation and seen that recommendation languish. This is Kurt Repencheck, your host at National Parks Traveler. You could say that they're not making any more wilderness across the national park system. But that's not to say we can't ensure that park lands that have wilderness qualities, untrammeled forests, mountains, prairies, rainforests, places that retain their primeval character and influence and are essentially without permanent improvement or modern human occupation, can't be officially protected as wilderness. We're going to explore that possibility today via an effort to transform roughly two-thirds of Big Bend National Park into congressionally approved wilderness. To discuss that effort, we're joined today by Big Bend Superintendent Bob Krummenacker, Raymond Skiles, who served as the National Park's Wildlife and Wilderness Coordinator before retiring, and Ben English, an eighth-generation Texan who grew up in the Big Bend area and is working to move the congressional designation forward. We'll be back in a minute. The Grand Teton National Park Foundation is a private, nonprofit organization that supports projects that protect and enhance Grand Teton National Park's cultural, historic, and natural resources. By funding initiatives that go beyond what the National Park Service could accomplish on its own, foundation donors improve the visitor experience and provide benefits to the national park system for decades to come. See their successes at gtnpf.org. In addition to some of the best rates in the country, Interior Federal Credit Union gives back their members more than other financial institutions in the form of dividends and low or no fees. With higher dividend rates, you can earn more in all your accounts, like certificates, money markets, or even a checking account. They focus to make sure that their members aren't being nickeled and dimed every time they make a transaction. That's the beauty of Interior Federal Credit Union. The Everglades Foundation the only organization whose sole mission is to restore and protect America's Everglades. Learn more at evergladesfoundation.org. The Blue Ridge Parkway Foundation is the primary nonprofit fundraising partner for the Blue Ridge Parkway. It is made up of people who have a deep love for this majestic road and want to ensure that its natural beauty and the experiences it offers endure for generations to come. Show your appreciation at brpfoundation.org. Now, of Big Bend National Park's 801,000 acres, nearly 600,000 acres have been proposed to be designated as official wilderness. That designation, however, has languished since it was broached back in 1978. While there was an effort back in 2009 to update the wilderness proposal and seek Congress's attention then, it also stalled. Superintendent Kremenacker, where do things stand in terms of wilderness at Big Bend? Is any of the park official wilderness? And if not, could you put a firm figure on the wilderness study area in the park and roughly where it lies? Kurt, you mentioned two-thirds of the park. It's actually exactly 583,000 acres were recommended by the National Park Service um, and ultimately by the Secretary of the Interior to the Congress in 1978 for 
wilderness designation. As you said, Congress has never acted, but that is the official wilderness study area of the park. Um, and it's really all over the park. Um, everywhere where we have paved roads, unpaved roads, um, other developments, those are excluded, but those are um, spread out through the park. The key thing is that everything that people can do in the park today um, on roads, on trails, stay in lodges, stay in campgrounds, um, would still be able to be done if wilderness was actually designated by the Congress. The only area that really isn't uh, in that wilderness study area is in the northwestern side of the park area that was actually added to the park after the 1978 wilderness designation. But we're currently going through the final stages of the wilderness eligibility study for that area. And we anticipate maybe another 60,000 acres might be eligible. And if Congress does take an interest and they ask us for an updated map, we'd be happy to provide that to them. And while that would not be the official National Park Service recommendation, I suspect there would be well over 600,000 acres that would qualify at that stage. You know, it's really interesting how, how wilderness and wilderness study areas are handled in the National Park Service, National Park System. For instance, you know, Yellowstone, the, the first national park in the world, doesn't have a single acre of officially designated wilderness. Um, Glacier National Park doesn't have an officially designated acre of wilderness, and neither does Big Bend. How does a wilderness study area come about? How do you, how do you go out into a park the size of Big Bend, 800,000 acres, and say, yes, this acre deserves wilderness protection, that acre doesn't? The Wilderness Act has some criteria, and you read some of them, uh, primarily affected by the forces of nature, no permanent modern human developments, um, no roads, et cetera. Um, and so the Park Service does an inventory, and it, it happens in several different stages, but usually what happens is we do an eligibility study to figure out which lands in the park actually meet the criteria for Wilderness Act, independent of any management goals that we may have for those places. Um, and then after that's approved, typically park goes through a formal wilderness study, and that's what Big Ben did for most of the acreage back in the 1970s. Um, there's a lot of discretion in the process, um, and uh, Congress and NPS policy over the years have actually tried to reduce the discretion in terms of, hey, maybe someday we might want to develop something here, even though it's undeveloped, and try to get our proposals to be essentially which areas are undeveloped, in which areas could remain undeveloped. And the, the policy recommendations are that we go forward with that sort of a thing. But the challenge of course, is that um, only Congress can actually designate wilderness. And so um, I, th I think you're alluding to the fact that um, Park Service is trying very hard to make sure that we don't preclude Congress's prerogative. In other words, any area that Congress could designate as wilderness that meets the criteria by our policy, uh, we are managing in anticipation of future wilderness designation. But I like to call that a handshake deal. Policy can change. And so one of the challenges here is though, even though those, these areas remain undeveloped and it's our intention to keep them undeveloped, if policies change in the future, that could change too. So the idea of going all the way and seeing if we can get Congress to act is to ensure that you know our grandchildren will be able to have the same experience in Big Bend in terms of those undeveloped areas that we can today. Now, of course, that 583,000 acre figure that you, you mentioned, that came from studies back in the 1970s. Is there more wilderness uh, 
potential out there in Big Bend that possibly should be included in a, in a wilderness bill going forward? Well, I think there's certainly that possibility. And, you know, I have to be clear that Park Service, we don't lobby. And of course, we don't ultimately set the boundaries. Um, so, you know, if we can build a strong enough coalition and get Congress's interest in this, and if they come back and say, if you were to remap it today, what would you recommend? Um, you know, we can, we can do that. One of the things that's really interesting, um, we have recently been trying to figure out exactly what the rationale was behind every line on the map 43 years, 44 years ago. And I think they were really smart back then. This is pre-GPS. And in a lot of places, they drew lines on maps that match topographic boundaries so that one could easily identify what was in the wilderness corridor versus what was not. Um, with modern technologies of, of GPS, it's not so critical that you can recognize a place just by looking at it right now. And so some of the corridors that were drawn in 1978 around the roads were probably a lot wider than they needed to be. And so, yeah, I think there probably is more than 583,000 acres that meets the wilderness criteria. And again, if we were asked, we'll provide a new map. Raymond, um, from your career in Big Bend, um, you probably know the, the landscape like the back of your hand. What values and resources are in that WSA that deserve protection as official wilderness? I mean, what's the landscape like? Well, it's, uh, you know, the prime example of protected Chihuahuan desert landscape. Uh, uh, you know, the Chihuahuan desert being just, you know, a portion of our southwestern U.S., mainly limited to, to parts of New Mexico and, and Texas. But, but it, it, is, it is a rugged and arid landscape. Uh, it's got mountains. Uh, the, the Rio Grande River, you know, abuts uh, an extensive portion of it. In fact, the entire border of Big Bend National Park uh, is along that river. And, and then just, you know, the, the, the open desert that uh, has been protected for all this time since 1944 with very little development uh, in it. Uh, it it's a classic, uh, uh, I think, qualification for wilderness uh, is that, uh, that there's lots of opportunity for, for wild recreation, for solitude, for also seeing a historic and prehistoric uh, evidence that remains on the land, which, which is included in, in wilderness values. And uh, you know, certainly if, if uh, someone wants to, to spend you know, a week or more out uh, you know, with, with, with relative solitude and a wild landscape, uh, it's hard to think of a place, in, in, at least in the lower 48, that would qualify more than Big Bend would. Yeah, um, some years ago, one of our writers uh, spent some time with his son backpacking in the in the park and wrote a wonderful story about that that landscape. What, what can you tell us about the flora and the fauna out there that would uh, benefit from official designation? Well, it's an extremely diverse, uh, both from a, a, an animal wildlife perspective and and plants. Uh, but of course, the, the great value is is uh, the, the Chihuahuan desert landscape uh, and all its plants and animals, of course. You know, there's a huge suite of those. Uh, the most different species of birds uh, have been identified in Big Bend of any national park, uh, for instance. There, there are the sky islands, as we call them. The, the desert has, you know, is arid, but the mountains, like the Chizos Mountains, uh, completely within this national park, it, you know, is a montane woodland. And uh, certainly, from my perspective, the only place in Texas with a reproducing healthy bear, black bear population. You know, other predators are, are, are actually 
persecuted throughout much of the Southwest, but but Big Bend is a, is certainly a refuge for for the mountain lion. I mean, I could go on and on. Uh, rare cacti throughout the the park. Uh, there are three that I believe are uh, 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 listed as uh, threatened species of cacti. And of course, you know, just the ones that we love so much, like Ocotillo and Lechuguilla, and uh, you know, other names that that many watching this may or may not be familiar with. We're talking today about wilderness in the national park system, and specifically in West Texas at Big Bend National Park, where there's an effort growing to see official wilderness designated in the park. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. Acadia National Park is one of the 10 most popular national parks in the United States. It is also one of the smallest and most vulnerable. That is why Friends of Acadia exists. Friends of Acadia is an independent organization of passionate people, inspiring those who love this magnificent park to make a real and lasting difference for Acadia. You can make a difference at friendsofacadia.org. Nova Scotia, 8,000 miles of coastline dotted with colorful fishing villages, quaint coastal towns, and an abundance of scenic natural beauty. Home to two national parks, Cape Breton Highlands and Kejimakujik, Spend your nights under a canopy of twinkling stars. Spend your days exploring trails, beaches, historical waterways, and tons of cultural and recreational experiences. Visit NovaScotia.com today and start planning your natural getaway. Washington State is graced with three spectacular national parks, each different and special in their own unique ways. As the official nonprofit partner and the only philanthropic organization dedicated exclusively to supporting these parks through charitable contributions, Washington's National Park Fund has a mission to raise private support to deepen everyone's love for, understanding of, and experiences in Mount Rainier, North Cascades, and Olympic National Parks. Share your passion for these parks at WNPF.org. Okay, we're back today with Big Bend Superintendent Bob Kramenacker, Raymond Skiles, who served as the National Parks Wildlife and Wilderness Coordinator before retiring, and Ben English, uh, eighth-generation Texan who grew up and lives in the Big Bend area and is working to move uh, forward uh, an effort to see official wilderness designated in Big Bend National Park. You know, Ben, would you say that there's a, a human connection to wilderness that we actually need wilderness to, to know what's out there, regardless of whether we venture out into it or not. Yes, sir. I think that's one of the problems we have in our society at, at this point. There's so many people are removed from where they came from. You need wilderness. You need wide open country. You need to get back away from all the technology uh, that surrounds us each and every day and really experience the simple yet most important things in this world and that comes many times from being in the wilderness or just out by yourself someplace you know you grew up in the big bend area you you live in that area now i imagine that you've been out across this landscape part of the wsa if not all the wsa and i'm, I'm kind of curious what about your personal connections with this landscape what what have those um treks into the the wsa um rewarded you with or left you with? Well, first of all, my family's been in that country since the 1880s. And they passed through before, but they first started settling in the Big Bend in the early 1880s. When I go out there, I feel them with me again. 
you talk about knowledge of the country, knowledge of the uh, area and such. And people have said, I know a little bit about that country. I write about it. I spend a lot of time in it. But they had more knowledge than their little bitty finger, and I got my entire body. And they had to because they lived there in very primitive situations, even up through the 1960s and such. No electricity, no TV, no radio, nothing like that. And when I get out there, I'm connected to them again. It's a something that's hard to describe in mere words. And it's not only them, but the kin that they had and the friends they had, people I'd heard about my entire life, still learning about. I'm try, trying to cover that country now for nearly 60 years. I'll never see it all, but that won't keep me from trying. Any, any specific locations in the Parks WSA that hold a particular significance for you? Well, <laughs> that's... that's uh, that's us trying to describe the prettiest girl you ever saw in your entire life. <laughs> your wife, right? <laughs> well, yeah, I guess that'd be a pretty good, safe answer on that. Keep me fed anyway. Um, there's so many places in that country. And I think Raymond and men like Tom Alex and such would say the same thing. There's no one best place. It just kind of depends on what your mood is. Now, there are some special places I like to go to kind of remote. Most people don't go there. Uh, the Sierra da Punta, the area around Mule Ears, uh, it's so rough, most people won't go into that country. And out towards Smoky Creek, then up Smoky Creek to the Sierra de Camala. But you can go across the park, go into the Dead Horse Mountains. Now, you want some place that hardly anybody goes, it's the Dead Horse. Up into the latest, uh, or the latest, uh, I think it's 87,000 acres what Houston Hart gave us as far as the park. Time stopped 1987 there. And nobody goes into there. And you can go up from the Houston Hart up an area. It's not very wide, but it's long. You end up almost all the way to Cedar Spring behind Nine Point Mesa. I guess what I'm saying is you can put the Big Bend National Park up on a map, take a dart, and just throw it, and where that dart hit, there's something to be seen there. Most people Sounds look out across those old flats, they say, oh, there's nothing there. You see it in their faces when they go to the fossil exhibit, and they look up east towards Tres Negritas or something like that. Little do they know. Superintendent Kremenacker, um, as I mentioned earlier, there's not a single acre of official wilderness in Yellowstone, in Glacier National Park, or, or Big Bend, and your WSA has basically existed since 1978, and the resources within it have been managed as de facto wilderness. So uh, I know you touched on this, but maybe you could explain in more depth. Why, why is there a need to see official designation made by Congress? What, what significance does that bring to the landscape that's already managed as de facto wilderness? Well, I think it's about permanence, Kurt. As I said, we do manage by wilderness and if policy never changed, there's probably no need for this. But policies do change, elected officials change, superintendents change, and yet every time we survey the public, formally or informally, what they tell us is what they love in this place, and it's probably true at Yellowstone too, is the mix of those wild places that Ben and Raymond so eloquently described, and the fact that they can drive here stay in a campground, stay in a hotel, eat a meal in a restaurant. 
we're looking at trying to deftly manage that combination of things in the future. And, you know, the park's been here a long time. Much of the infrastructure was built um, in the 1950s and 60s. And the visitation to this park has increased by a factor of five or six um, since that time. And in fact, in the last year, we were 25% higher than uh, any year in our, in our past history. So there's going to be more and more people coming to Big Bend. And there's probably going to be more and more pressures to accommodate them. And some people will think the best way of doing that is to build more lodges, more developed campgrounds, more roads. Um, and, you know, an argument can be made for that. But at the same time, we run the risk of destroying uh, the very most important values that people come here for, which are so lacking in the United States and especially in the state of Texas, which is that open space that, that Ben so, so beautifully described. Um, and so, you know, I look at the National Park Service mission and think that um, Congress was eloquent and they basically gave us a, a mission for perpetuity. And so my thought about wilderness is, is it is a political process, but if we can build the coalition um, and get the kind of support of the public who frankly don't know a lot about the issues we're talking about today and say, look, if they say to their elected officials, we think this is important to preserve in this state for the indefinite future, I think it can happen. And then I will feel very good that we have made a difference that will be very, very difficult for someone in the future to undo. I'm, I'm curious, uh, Superintendent, um, as you said, the visitation to Big Bend has been increasing a lot. And um, from my experience, a, a very small percentage of uh, visitation to national parks actually go out into the backcountry, let alone into official wilderness. Has the park done any formal informal surveys with your visitors about wilderness designation, or have you had any um, um, conversations with some of your, your visitors about, you know, knowing that that wilderness there or that the wilderness study there is important to them, even if they're not going to go out into it? Specifically to that question, no, we have not, Kurt. Um, the Big Bang Conservancy, our park friends group, did a survey on Facebook. You know, no one will um, suggest that it's a scientific survey, but nonetheless, it was an attempt to engage the interests of those people who, who do already care about the park. And they basically said, what do you think of the mix of the, the developed and the undeveloped lands of the park? And 85% of them pretty much said, we don't want to see any more development in the park, despite the fact that visitation is going up. Um, and, and I think that's probably a pretty good indicator. Um, you know, terms like wilderness and policy, um, you know, most people don't really care about it. They, you know, they trust us to do the right thing. And I appreciate that very much. Um, but what we do is dependent upon money, politics, people. Um, and, um, you know, so trying to recognize the values that people have and then essentially try to position the park in a place where we can assure those values are protected forever. I think that's what wilderness means. You know, wilderness, particularly in the West, um, I think is completely misunderstood. You hear people say um, that it locks up lands or it keeps people out. And Kurt, I know you're a wilderness user um, yourself. That can't be further from the truth. So, um, you know, the Wilderness Act is very much about preserving lands for people, uh, not protecting them from people. But it's about keeping um, some of those technological things and developments that, you know, we have in our everyday homes in cities and suburbs um, out. 
and so, you know, in some ways it's a little bit like zoning and uh, maybe even some places that's a hot button issue, but, you know, trying to, trying to deal with the values. And, and I think the people get it. So this park, because the wilderness study was so long ago, I think that the general consciousness that there is a wilderness study area here that is still um, pending, um, that's fallen out of consciousness. So, so the Keep Big Bend Wild Group, which uh, these gentlemen are part of, um, and uh, my staff and I were trying to remind people of you know, the, the goals of a previous generation and trying to fulfill their legacy by taking it over the finish line. Raymond, I'm wondering how big should the wilderness area be in Big Bend National Park? I mean, obviously you've got the, this 1978 uh, uh, proposal. Uh, the superintendent has, has talked about, you know, maybe there's uh, some additional lands that might um, qualify as wilderness. Was the 1978 proposal a sound one or, or should more acreage be added? And if so, um, where and why in the park? Well, I'll certainly you know, suggest that the 1978 uh, proposal was sound. Uh, things have changed somewhat since then. Certainly all that uh, uh, acreage that was proposed then uh, certainly qualified, uh, met the criteria for wilderness. Uh, since then, uh, for instance, uh, I think has been referred uh, uh, in 1980, a significant addition of lands was made to the park. Uh, as, I, as I remember, it's about 60,000 acres uh, that we might call the North Rocios addition or the, the Hart brothers uh, you know, who were the owners that were instrumental in making that happen. Uh, so, so, so there's a, you know, a significant area that, uh, you know, could be part and I think qualifies uh, if we were to, to, to use the criteria. But in addition, you know, the, the, that earlier map uh, left some large areas that at the time were under planning for some potential uses of one kind or another. And since then, the planning process has identified that those will not be, you know, what was considered back in the 70s uh, as, as some kind of development potential. And uh, so, so, you know, as time goes by, these, these things do change, certainly using the, the criteria that allows, you know, tighter mapping to identify corridors uh, along roads you know, would bring in more acreage uh, rather than using the nearest hill or ridge, which might be a half mile away, uh, because at the time they wanted to be able to to understand where it is, just visually standing out there and didn't have a great mapping strategy that might be on everybody's phone like it is today. So so a lot of those changes have occurred and uh, certainly, you know, uh, everything's gone in the right direction as far as preservation and additional lands now that could be considered. This is Kurt Repencheck at National Parks Traveler. We're talking about wilderness and wilderness proposals at Big Bend National Park in Texas. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Whether it be strategy, business planning, change management, board development, executive search, or diversity planning, Petrero Group is here to help. They mix a depth of experience in the parks and land space with the breadth of best practices from other industries. For more information or to schedule a preliminary conversation, go to potrerogroup.com, P-O-T-R-E-R-O, group.com. Wild Tribute is lifestyle apparel founded for our parks and public lands. We donate 4% of our proceeds to support America's most wild and historic places. This is our Wild Tribute. Together, we can and will make a difference for the parks. You can learn more at wildtribute.com. 
The Yosemite Conservancy helps visitors connect with Yosemite through adventures, volunteering, and the arts. It's the only nonprofit dedicated to supporting Yosemite National Park and funds grants to improve trails, restore habitat, protect wildlife, and inspire the next generation of nature lovers. Learn more at yosemite.org. Now, with the Biden administration, I mean, they have a stated goal of seeing 30% of the country's waters and 30% of the country's lands protected for nature by 2030. Um, recently, we've seen a, a push from some corners in Congress to see um, a national biodiversity strategy crafted and, uh, and approved. Um, Bob or, or Raymond, would official wilderness in Big Bend National Park help forward either of those proposals or, or contribute to either of those proposals? Well, I'm going to try to stay away from politics, Kurt, but I think the answer is protecting uh, lands as wilderness in Big Bend National Park is certainly good for conservation. And any politician that wants to support conservation, it, it would probably support that person's goals. Um, I, I think the, the key, though, you know, wilderness is a political issue, and most wilderness initiatives that you mentioned earlier that have gone nowhere have gone nowhere, not because the lands don't have value, but because there wasn't the political support from it from the voters of the politicians' districts. And so one of the key things we're trying to do here is not start by suggesting that anybody write to Congress and protect Big Bend as wilderness and not to link it to any particular administration's initiatives, but to do as as Ben was saying, and you know, just have people reconnect to what's so important here. And so we're trying this, you know, think globally but act locally strategy. Let's see if we can talk to people one-on-one -on -one locally. And this podcast is, is about spreading that audience a little wider. Um, we don't want to just talk to the environmentalists and the and the people who voted for this administration. We want to have people who care about wild places, who care about the future, who care about their grandchildren, um, who care about the human connection to the land, understand that regardless of their politics, there's something here at Big Bend that is worthy of their support and protection. And, and it's my theory that if we can share that story wide enough, and there are testimonials from people who are business people, who are historians, um, who are river runners who are four-wheel drivers who drive on the dirt roads that bisect wilderness areas, but still love the wild places on either side. If we can get that broad coalition, I think despite the politics of this state, I think that we can get support to do this. Quite often, and it certainly was the case in 1978, that the local concern can often be driven by what I consider the mis misperception that it could be you know, something detrimental to the local economy. Uh, and certainly, you know, Big Bend is a driver of the, 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 the really several counties economy in the local area, uh, immediately Brewster County. Tourism is the, if not one of the, the major uh, income streams. Uh, yet, you know, studies uh, around the country, as well as just, uh, you know, it's just quite obvious if you spend much time around national parks or, or wilderness areas, is it they're big attractions. People, you know, have determined that they want to be near these protected areas, you know, for that ability to have the, 
the you know the the pristine view from their house if it's outside the park or wilderness area, uh, but more so just just readily accessible uh, open landscapes, uh, trails for hiking, camping, birding, or to the ability to go horseback or or just hoofing it out across you know on, you know no trails wilderness, which is a great opportunity in Big Bend. So it's a little bit ironic that while we are protecting from development, and some could say, well, that could be poor for the economy, it actually is the, the goose that lays the golden egg in many ways for, for a tourism economy. And uh, to the degree that may be misunderstood, you know, that's why it's important that, that we're trying to make lots of you know, individual contacts and, and uh, just you know, show how across the country this is something that is is good for the economy at the same time as as good for our environment and our and our souls. You know, I think you're you're absolutely right. If anybody um, takes a look at the last two years and and the great rush to the outdoors that has occurred across the country, national parks and national forests. Certainly, um, people long for the outdoors, um, whether it's a national park or a national forest or a BLM land, and. Um, we're seeing more and more um, efforts to capitalize on that desire to be outdoors um, with different businesses cropping up. And anyway, so where do you, where do you go now? How do you make this happen? I mean, I understand there's a collaborative effort as the superintendent uh, mentioned, um, keep big Ben wild. And if people want to learn about it, they can, they can go to keep big Ben wild.org. But, but where do you, where do you take the process now, Ben? Thank you to people. You know, I heard politics mentioned in this interview. Politics doesn't have a thing to do with it. It's what people have inside their hearts. I don't care what brand you call yourself, Republican, Libertarian, Democrat, whatever. What matters if you're a Texan and an American at heart that loves your country and loves to see it unspoiled and in its natural state. I'll tell you a story real quick. My family had a running feud with the National Park Service longer than I was alive. Uh, it all stemmed from my great aunt Mag being forced out of Hot Spring and then out of uh, San Vicente. It got so bad that she finally went across the river to Boquillas, had less trouble with the Mexican authorities for the five years she was there, and she ever did a National Park Service. And my grandfather had three hobbies. One was his grandkids. Second was messing with the Mexican government. Third was messing with the National Park Service. Uh, It was just a long-standing feud. But if he was alive today, he would be the first in line to support this wilderness program. Because without the park and without the National Park Service and without something like this wilderness program, Everything inside the cheeses would look like Lapitas now, and everything outside of the cheeses would look like Kalimba Ranch. And that's all fine and good, so people have a place to live and things of that nature. But my grandfather was a man of the land. You know, he used to say, you don't own this land, it owns you. And that's what's so very important in all this. Because once it's gone, it's gone. I've seen it with my own eyes. When I was a little bitty kid at that time, we had an official census in 1960 saying there were four people in Lajitas and two in Terlingua. That's what I remember. But now I look at it now, 
And there's a lot of places other than the landscape stuff I don't even recognize anymore. They've taken all the old ranches and cut them up to little bitty ranchitas, uh, five, ten acres, which is fine. Again, that's what people need to, to have a home and such. But people also need a place to roam, a place to see it like it used to be. And again, and I've seen it in my own two eyes. Once it's gone, it's gone. And if you study the administrative history of Big Bend National Park, you can see some pretty crazy ideas they had for the park early on. Some of them came to fruition. Some of them didn't. They had ideas like building a tramway all the way to the top of the South Rim or trying to build a highway on top of Anguilla Mesa. I'd like to see them do that. But I've actually seen the maps with the road on there leading up on top of Anguilla Mesa, slated as a highway. And then there was our Back to Nature program, which actually went into effect. And we lost a lot of the old ruins and ranch houses and dams and things of this nature. They're gone now. And once it's gone, it's gone. Now, I'm curious. I, I spent a little time at your website, keepbigbenwild.org, and you've got a page there with the, the core team members. And I noticed they're retired National Park Service personnel or tied to the National Parks Conservation Association or the Big Bend Conservancy. Outside of those individuals, is there is there growing support, widespread support for official wilderness from the communities that surround Big Bend? Well, I might address that. Uh, one of the tabs on that website is a, uh, a list of supporters, and uh, and you can see that uh, there there's you know several dozen uh, businesses, private individuals that are well known in the community. Of course, that includes Ben uh, and. Uh, Simply, you know, folks like the county judge, the, the president of the local university uh, that, that have agreed that, that this, is, this is what they would support happening to help preserve the national park and its resources along, you know, as a component of the national wilderness preservation system. So, so we feel like there's, there's been, you know, really good progress getting the word out. Uh, certainly it is, you know, a government administrative process. So, so, you know, sometimes it falls to us that have, have had careers, you know, studying it and working with it to, to, to try to do our best to explain it to folks who, you know, may not have had that much time to, to understand it and might have some very justifiable reasons for concerns. Uh, so we feel like there's, there is good support uh, uh, and, uh, and we're certainly continuing that effort to do outreach, uh, to, to, uh, to inform, to answer questions and uh, you know realize and build the support that that is that is substantial and is growing. Now, obviously, um, anyone who's paid attention to Congress knows that um, wilderness legislation doesn't get passed too often. Although we did see Congress back in 2019 pass legislation that designated roughly 1.3 million acres of wilderness in the country, which was great to see. Are, are you hopeful that that type of bipartisanship in Congress um, will, will rise up to this effort? I mean, have you had talks with your, your local congressional delegation, a congressman, or the, the state's uh, U.S. senators to see, gauge their temperature on this proposal? We have briefed Tony Gonzalez, who is the congressman from this area. He's a freshman Republican, um, very smart man, and very interested in doing what's good economically and in other ways for his district. And um, very intentionally, he's not been asked to do anything at this stage. So we wanted him to know what his constituents are doing. And uh, it's people like Ben and Raymond, I think, and some of these local businesses that will be far more 
um, effective with Mr. Gonzalez than uh, any government official like me um, can be. So as Raymond said, you know, we government people, we understand the process and we can help um, guide the supporters as to you know, how it's done. And um, you know, I've had the good fortune that I've gone through this before in another park um, and we were able to build a absolute bipartisan coalition of Republicans and Democrats, um, business people and environmentalists. And, and um, I think that's, that's the key. And so, um, you know, Kurt, most of the bills that do pass Congress that deal with public lands and wilderness usually happen in omnibuses or omnibuy um, that happen at the very, very end of the session. Um, and so our, our hope is that the last week in December, um, there's a bill. Um, and uh, our hope is that Congressman Gonzalez and others of both parties uh, will be strong supporters for it. This, this December, December 22. Yeah. But, you know, there's also, there are the, you know, political winds that are blowing and we're not fools. Um, we're not necessarily assuming we'll be successful in this Congress. And we don't know what will happen in the November elections. But Congress has designated wilderness in every Congress and whether they're Republicans or Democrats in charge of the Congress and Republicans and Democrats in the White House. Um, and so if we don't succeed at getting a bill this time, then um, I think then, you know, there's an opportunity to pick it up in a future Congress. Um, and um, whether it's these people in Keep Big Ben Wild or it's their successors, they'll be able to build on the coalition that that uh, this group is building today. Has has Congressman Gonzalez um, been out to look at the WSA or are there plans to try and get him out there to take a look at the landscape firsthand? He's flown over the park. We didn't, we haven't had a chance to get him on the ground yet, um, but he's expressed strong interest. And, uh, you know, the moment his schedule allows it, we will certainly, um, we will certainly uh, enjoy showing it to him and introducing him to people like Ben um, and others in the local community that, that think this is important. Why I add something to that? Please One do. of Congressman Gonzalez's ages of Alcun. That's the family across the river from Boquillas all the way down to Lajitis. They've been there longer than my family has. And I have a pretty good suspicion that he's been talking to Congressman Gonzalez about this. In fact, Bob and I sat down with him about an hour, an hour mm -hmm. or so there in the basement yep. in September. So they're well aware that this is going on. Um, you know, one of the other important issues to uh, Congressman Gonzalez's border security. And as Raymond said, the entire southern edge of Big Bend National Park, 118 miles, is uh, is the border. Um, border Patrol is here in the park, and we've got a really excellent working relationship with them. And so we've also been talking informally to Border Patrol agents and leadership to make sure they understand um, what we're talking about, to, to find out what their concerns are. But the reality is the Park Service and the Border Patrol here at Big Bend have worked very well together for decades. And in fact, there is a national level memorandum of understanding between the two agencies that say um, Border Patrol will honor wilderness study areas. Um, and at the same time, the Park Service um, will consider it when the Border Patrol thinks it's essential to do something that would normally not be allowed in wilderness. So I would fully expect Congressman Gonzalez will be extremely interested in understanding how this proposal might impact border security in the park. 
and I'm pretty optimistic that um, that we can um, show him that it will not change anything from uh, the current arrangement between the Park Service, the Border Patrol, and U.S. Customs. Yeah, I think if you look at Oregon Pipe Cactus National Monument over in Arizona, you know that's one clear example where the the Park Service and the Border Patrol have been able to to work in tandem and. Um, protect wilderness values um, while at the same time doing doing the jobs that they are tasked with doing. If, if I can add to that, one of the things, though, that makes us very different from Oregon Pipe is that Oregon Pipe um, has a land boundary and is fairly close to a fairly major highway in Mexico. And so the number of people who are crossing the boundary, um, mostly not Mexicans, but who are crossing from Mexico into Oregon Pipe is much greater than, than here. This is the most remote part of the Mexican frontier as well as the American one. And so um, while the number of illegal crossings has gone up at Big Bend, it is still the quietest sector of um, the entire U.S.-Mexican border. And, um, and, you know, we don't, Oregon Pipe has gone through some very challenging times um, uh, to get to where they are today. Um, and I think um, the wisdom of our predecessors here, as well as the terrain um, has made the relationships here um, very good for a very, very long time. Well, gentlemen, it sounds like a very ambitious proposal, but at the same time, it, it sounds like a very sensible one as well that uh, should should be introduced to Congress and, and hopefully go through without any any uh, concerns. A- anything else you would like to add before we wrap this up? I'll say this much. You're talking about where you're getting support from and talking with the folks out and about about getting this done. I've talked to a lot of people, have not found anybody yet that was against this. And if I might add, uh, back, hearkening back to a previous topic about, uh, you know, as you mentioned, certainly most people drive through the park and their, their encounter with, with wilderness is, is visual, the ability to see it and enjoy it from the road. Uh, however, you know, as I think you alluded to, you know, outdoor recreation has has just gone, you know, remarkably up uh, as far as interest and participation in recent years, and uh, Big Bend has certainly experienced that too. The, the Chizos Mountains are extremely popular. Uh, there's a network of backcountry backpacking campsites up there that that you know, frankly, it shocks many of us who have been around for a while how how often those are are, are booked uh, or filled, and. Uh, Major uh, attention through some uh, outdoor magazines have have created uh, a lot of focus on the Outer Mountain Loop, uh, a 33-mile rugged back backcountry backpacking route uh, that 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 gets significant use now. And I also harken back to you know when when the internet was kind of you know becoming a thing, uh, very popular in the early. Uh, late 90s and early 2000s, there was actually a drop-off in youth participation in outdoor activities and at national parks. Uh, and, and that has just swung around 180 degrees. Uh, it's very encouraging now to be hiking or backpacking in the park on the trails and seeing the, the, the abundance of, of people, you know, from teenagers up through the 20s and 30s uh, during college breaks. Uh, you know, the, the park is just, you know, full of, of uh university students and other students that are out, uh, and, and this is what they love to do. So the future seems very positive for participation, uh, not only of youth, but certainly they're going to be growing up uh, and educating their own kids. And uh, so, you know, their value is the wilderness value. That, that's why they want to be there. That's why it's become 
uh, so much more popular. And, uh, and we feel like this certainly dovetails into that uh, resurgence of, of uh, activity. If I can add one more note, um, you know, Raymond talks about the, the, the trails, the campsites, everything that is currently legal in the park today will still be legal in those same places if Congress designates wilderness here. So this is not about changing the use. It's not about uh, restricting use any more than it is right now. Um, it's about assuring that the mix of uses that we have today are the same ones that we will have in the same places for future generations. And I think people are reassured when they when they get past the rhetoric and they understand this is about preserving what they've already told us they love so much about the park. Well, gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us today. And it's, a, like I said, a very exciting proposal. And we'll be looking forward to catching up down the road when you've got some positive news about uh, Congress passing this. Thank you, Kurt. Appreciate Thank it, you, sir. Ben and Raymond, thanks so much. You guys are stars. You're welcome, Bob. That's our show for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. Gaining official wilderness designation in the national park system is a huge goal, and it'd be great to see more initiatives similar to the one at Big Bend National Park. We'll keep you updated on its progress in the months ahead. Next week, we'll be visiting with Cape Hatteras National Seashore Superintendent Dave Halleck to discuss his park's rocketing visitation trends, as well as houses falling into the ocean at the National Seashore. For The Traveler, this is Kurt Repencheck. See you in the parks. The composers and musicians at Orange Tree Productions have created a unique collection known as the National Park Series that has grown to include more than 30 CD titles. Composed against the backdrop of a park's sounds of nature, these musical scores will connect you with these beautiful places and take you there, at least in your mind. This collection is the number one selling National Park audio series in the world and provides the background music for National Park's Travelers podcasts. Visit them at orangetreeproductions.com. Editing and production work for the National Park's Traveler podcast is done by Splitbeard Productions. You can learn more about us at splitbeardproductions.com. National Parks Traveler is a 501c3 nonprofit media organization that provides daily editorial coverage of national parks and protected areas. Traveler's coverage is made possible by reader and listener donations. Visit nationalparkstraveler.org.